Hello, you're listening to Character Speaks, supported by ProSign Design, a podcast designed to spotlight passionate character educators who are walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and this morning we're talking with Allison Apsey, the author of the new book, Path to Serendipity, and a passionate principal up in Michigan. Good morning, Allison. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Barbara. I'm so excited to chat with you today about such an important topic. So thank you so much for having me. I'm going to start with the traditional interview question. Tell us a little bit about yourself because I think that's kind of fun and cliche. So what brought you to the book and and to the schoolhouse and to this heart work? Oh, yes. So passionate about education. And first and foremost, professionally, I am an elementary principal. And I'm so proud to be the principal of Quincy Elementary in Zeeland, Michigan. And Zeeland is halfway between Grand Rapids and the shore of Lake Michigan. So we kind of get the best of both worlds here. I have a young fives through fifth grade school with about 550 students. And I spent yesterday interviewing third grade teacher candidates with um, a group of staff members. And it just made me so proud of the culture that we have and the passion and the hard work and the support that we have in our school, which makes school, Quincy Elementary, a lovely place for students and for staff and for parents. We are just so very fortunate. In addition, I am a mom to two sons. I have my son Lane is 16 and my son Tyson is 11. And it's such an interesting time in parenting because they're becoming so independent. So it transitions. I feel like this transition of from when they needed me to kind of now like we have to figure out how to spend time together when they don't need you as much. Like we just need to do fun stuff together. So it's been, it's been great, but it's a very interesting transition. I think for a mom, I'm also a wife to my husband, Jim. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that, is it hard letting them go? Cause I'm listening to that thinking, Oh, I don't know if I thought that time was fun. Cause I was kind of holding on. I know I, yeah. So my 16 year old is driving and he has a job, and he is all of a sudden Mr. Independent, and yes, it is It is hard, and it's just, it's about kind of the next step in our relationship, so um, that is an interesting challenge, but in some parts, very hard to let go a little bit. And then you said husband, Jim. Yes, yep, so um, my husband, Jim, is like the exact opposite of me. He is um, super mechanical, can, you know, fix anything, uh, super coordinated, <laughs> really good at sports. Like, um, he's the doer. I'm the talker. I'm all about like words and love and feelings. And he's all about like action. So, um, I think we make a good team. And you wrote about him in the book. So that's a nice segue to now you are an author as well. Yes. Yes. So I started writing The Path to Serendipity. I I knew I had, you know, more that I I blog a lot. 
and I knew I had a book in me and I wanted it to be like Dave and Shelley Burgess. Um, they want to publish manifestos and I wanted it to be my manifesto. And my friend Jamie and my husband Jim, we were having a conversation about the book I was going to write. And they, they're like, they encouraged me just to go write my stories, just to, to write about all of the things that have influenced me so profoundly, the lessons I need to remind myself of every single day. And I started that journey and it was just amazing. And my idea was if I just write this and my sons have it and their future families have it and, and they know all of these lessons and everything that, you know, grandma was all about, (laughs) (laughs) but Dave and Shelley Burgess wanted to publish it. And it was a unique way of um, getting the book to them. And then they, they decided they wanted to publish it. And I was so honored. And I love that it is like a real book and that people are reading and connecting with it is just amazing and so inspiring to me. So it's really important that we share our story. I love that you didn't really set out to, to write the book necessarily so much as to connect your season and your story with future generations and, you know, grandchildren you don't even have yet. Why do you think that's so important that we share our stories? I'm so passionate about supporting each other to live our best lives. I think life is so very hard on its own. And I think we have a responsibility to lighten the load for each other or at the very least, not make the load even heavier for each other. And, and to be honest, you know, as I observe people and in my role in education and just in my personal life, I see the opposite happen sometimes. And it's so disheartening because I know we can do so much better. And these are the lessons that I seriously have to remind myself of every day like coach myself through things like, you know, remember behavior is purposeful. What they're doing is not about you. And, um, you know, as, 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 um, recently as last night, I'm coaching myself of, you know, their, their behavior doesn't really say anything about you, Allison. It's saying stuff about them and, and, and depersonalizing behavior. And, And those are things that really help me live my best life so I can help those around me live their best lives. And that's a, a, a huge passion of mine. And that's a huge lesson to learn. I know conscious discipline really has us, love and logic does too, detach from those emotions that you're feeling because it's not a personal affront. It's something that they need. And I I know conscious discipline always resonates with me. Becky's question, are they craving attention or connection? Sure. Yep. And my training is in William Glasser's choice theory. In the, the same concept, I mean, it's very similar conceptually to conscious discipline and to love and logic in that we look for the purpose of behavior and we understand that all behavior is purposeful. Um, and it's about the person and what they need and not about you and your feelings. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that emotional deflector um, thing you've got going on? Because I, I think it was meant to kind of just lighten up the book, but, but it's, you kind of did it like with laughter, tongue in cheek maybe, but, but there's a serious side. Absolutely. So in the, I wrote about the emotions deflector 
after one family Thanksgiving, and I don't know why I was inspired to write it at that time, but I wrote it, wrote it as a blog post years ago. And I thought it had a place in the book. And so I, I inserted it into a, a chapter in the book. And then as we were going through the editing process, the editors thought it would be great to make it like a, an advertisement. And then I um, got creative and there's a couple other advertisements within the book also. So there's the emotions deflector. There's a, that was interesting button. And then there's a naive body spray, but I'll talk just about the emotions deflector. And the idea is that it's an armor that we wear that allows us to maintain our own feelings and not take on the feelings of the people around us. And the very light side is, you know, we all have maybe Mr. Grumpy Pants (laughs) or at work, the person that we, you know, go up to and say, how you doing? And we know that we're going to get a barrage of negativity. And often we'd walk away feeling, you know, kind of down and we've lost the pep in our step after that encounter. But the idea is the emotions deflector reminds us, you know, we don't have to take on the feelings of Mr. Grumpy Pants. We can hang on to our own feelings We can empathize with Mr. Grumpy Pants. We can try to brighten his day, but we can allow him to keep his own feelings. He doesn't have to take over ours too. And so it's this imaginary armor. And then, you know, to the, even the, the, the not so light side where loved ones we have, um, that, that are a part of our everyday, um, you know, we don't even have to take on their emotions. My 16 year old, like it's an emotional roller coaster with him Mm -hmm. and, have to re- release the control over my emotions because he's struggling. And in fact, if I take on his emotions, like that's not going to go anywhere good. But if I can maintain my own emotions and I can support him through whatever crisis he's, he's going through at the time. Do you know, just this week, somebody said to me, we are only as happy as our saddest child. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, I think that would be the opposite, maybe, of the emotions deflector. Well, right, which is why what you're putting out there is so important. Because if if our happiness is riding on our child's emotions, that's not going to really be a secret for success, huh? No, I yeah, I totally agree. And and of course, nobody wants their child to to be sad, but we're not going to be effective in helping our child if we go there with them. Right. And don't they have to go through those emotions in order to come out stronger? So true. So true. And, you know, the other part of choice theory that I talk about in the path to serendipity is the fact that the only person we can control is ourselves. So if we are going around trying to make everybody happy in our lives and control the emotions of other people, Um, that's a slippery slope and we're not going to be successful because the only person we can control is ourselves. And then if we feel like we have to control others, our need for power is not going to be met very easily. But through controlling ourselves, through living our best lives, then we can support other people in, you know, getting there themselves. Yes, that part of the book really resonated with me. Um, certainly in our work as school counselors, we, you know, we ask that question all the time. Okay, baby, who can, who can you control and um, who can control you? It's funny because kids are pretty 
the younger one's pretty sure that we can control them. But if you've ever sat with a raging um, child, it's it's so clear so fast that you're not doing any of the controlling until you can, you know, certainly influence the change, but not doing the controlling. Can you talk a little bit more about those five? Um, I know people can look up Glasser, but man, you explained it so well in your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, William Glasser says that all of our behavior is purposeful and we're all behaving to meet one or more of our five basic needs. So the needs are survival, freedom, power, belonging, and fun. That everything we do is in an effort to meet one or more of those five basic needs. And he even goes so far as to say, we, we each have varying strengths of the needs so I might need, I might have a high need for power and a high need for belonging. Well, in fact, I do. <laughs> and um, somebody else might have a lower need for power and a lower need for belonging, but a higher need for freedom. So what that person needs, is going to be different. It's going to look different than what I need. And understanding that we're all behaving in a way to meet one or more of those five basic needs helps in so many ways. And in one of the ways is in the classroom. I describe a student I had in my first year of teaching named Jake, who Jake did this amazingly funny granny disco dance. And he was just a hilarious kid. I loved our one-on-one -on -one time, but he like stole the show no matter what I was trying to do. Like literally during um, fire drills or during these lessons I've planned for weeks for or whatever it was. <laughs> It was Jake's show in our classroom. It was not mine. And so understanding that Jake's behavior is purposeful. Jake was trying to meet one or more of his five basic needs. And if I could help him meet those needs within the functions of what I was asking him to do in the classroom, then we could work together rather than work against each other. So I did something simple and I had Jake another year, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> And I did something simple and fun and need satisfying for Jake and that we set up uh, disco lunches. We ate lunch in the classroom at this school and I set up disco balls and turned on disco music and Jake could dance every lunchtime. It was very structured. Only one person could go up to dance at a time. And, um, you know, they went up for a few minutes and then they sat back down. But Jake got all the laughs that he needed and all the attention he needed within things like that um, that we set up for him so that he could meet his needs within the functions of what he at, we, we, we asked him to do. One of the coolest things is looking, like making eye contact with Jake when he was doing his disco granny dance and laughing with him was so important to building our relationship. relationship. And I didn't even anticipate that when I set it up, that it was going to be such a relationship strengthener between Jake and I. But when he saw that I was going to help him get what he needed in the classroom and that we could share that laughter together. It made such a huge difference in our relationship too. The power of connections. Wow. Hey, I'm also wondering if, okay, so then you're the principal now and your teachers, you talked about a climate of caring that you guys have created. They must be getting this training as well. Um, not, not, Per se. So I, I went in, I came from, a, I taught in a William Glasser Quality School, and then I helped open a William Glasser Quality School and became a principal there. And when I came to Quincy Elementary, it's, it's a traditional elementary school. 
And I wanted to honor where the teachers were. And I, there's, they were a successful school before I came in. And so I didn't want to swoop in and say, all right, now we're going to become a William Glasser Quality School. So instead, we um, slowly shifted the culture together. So um, even like yesterday, we have applicants talking to us about clip charts and rewards and consequences for behavior choices. And the, the teachers at Quincy are saying, you know, that that's not really how we do things. Yeah. We create a culture of joy. We create a need-satisfying environment. And we expect students to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We don't have those external controls in the classroom in order to, to get them to do the right thing. Nice. Um, and that that's a culture shift that we worked through together, not something that I came in and imposed. Because I think I don't want to come in, stir things up, and then you know, if at any point when I retire or when I leave for things to, you know, kind of go back to normal, the change has to come from within all of us. Right. So then there's that sustainability piece. Yes. Wow. Hey, oh my goodness. It sounds like you are so, so busy and you're caring for others and you're leading the way um, in a lot of different arenas. How do you care for Allison? Yeah, good question. (laughs) Um, so a couple of things are really important because I'm not only caring for Allison, I'm also caring for these three human beings that I love so much that I live with and my dog, (laughs) you know, like not just about me at home either. So what's really important for me is to be where I am and do what I'm doing. So in that headspace, of, you know, if I'm, I, on Wednesday night, I went to a Jason Mraz concert and it was amazing. Oh my gosh. Oh, was it so great? It was unbelievable. And I went with lovely people. And when I was there, I was there. I wasn't thinking about, you know, the 15 interviews we had the next day or, um, you know, I, I create lists. I try to stay as organized as possible. But the main thing for me is in my head, of being where I am, being focused on the task that I have ahead of me. I really need to clean my house because I think my mother-in-law and father-in-law might be coming, um, you know, as a surprise for this weekend. And I'm going to be dancing and listening to music while I clean my house, even though I have a to-do list of about 500,000 things. So that, that is a really important key to kind of holding it all together, I think. One of my favorite mindfulness mantras is be where your feet are. And that's exactly what you're talking about right here. And Julia Cook is actually coming out with a book called Be Where Your Feet Are. I think it was supposed to release this week. So be where your feet are. Yeah, to help kids do that as well. Right. I love that. So how can our listeners connect with you and, and what's next for you? So exciting. Um, so I am at Allison Apsey, like everywhere. So it's A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-A-P-S-E-Y. So on Facebook, on Twitter, my website is AllisonApsey.com. Um, the Path to Serendipity is available on Amazon. And what's oh you and you can email me at AllisonApsey at gmail.com. And what's next is I wrote a picture book. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. 
It's a retelling of this, the tale of the three princes of serendip, which is the origin of the word serendipity. It's a, I think a 16th century Persian tale. Um, it was a movie and I, I, my retelling is um, not too similar to the, the tale itself, but it is in a folk tale kind of um, story form. And it is a character development book. And it's about looking, it's about the, the, the challenges in life and the beautiful lessons that we can learn through those challenges. Um, the idea are, is that these three princes had this affluent life of um, luxury and laziness. And their father is like, you know, what are you guys going to be when you grow up? And they're like, I don't know. I think this is pretty good. I think we'd like <laughs> here. And they, their father was so disappointed and they didn't like disappointing their father. So they went off into the town and they each um, stayed with a different family and learned about a different trade. And they learned the beautiful lessons that are embedded in a life of hard work and labor and struggle, but there's great joys and there's pride in it and there's gratitude um, and thankfulness. So they, they learn about these feelings that they never really had in their life of luxury and laziness. And then their father is like, yes, you learned the, the, the value, the lesson of serendipity because we stumble upon these beautiful lessons and all of the hard things and the amazing things that we go through in our lives. Sounds like a burdens into blessings kind of story. Yes. Yes, it is. And so what yeah. age level will it be targeted at? Cause do you think serendipity is a big word for a little kid? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay. So I have a school full of test subjects too. I love it. Yes. <laughs> it's been so fun to be on this journey to write this children's book alongside my students and my teachers. So there's, I've, I actually have read the story without pictures right now because the illustrations are just being developed to several classes. And it's so interesting to see the different lessons that the different age groups glean. So I, I read it to a fourth grade class and the majority of them were able to understand what serendipity meant. And I read it to a fifth grade class and, and pretty much all of them were able to get what serendipity meant. When I read it to a first grade class, they didn't catch on to the idea of serendipity, but they caught on to the simpler lessons in the book. So about like the value of hard work or the value of being grateful or the value of giving back those, those concepts they were able to grasp. So I think it's a book that's going to appeal to all ages, but it is one of those chapter books that, you know, you, you might use in a high school because the, the concepts, the concept can be that deep. Oh my goodness. That sounds so amazing. It's interesting because it, it will be kind of for all ages, something a little different and new to mine and, and kind of a yeah. timeless, timeless theme, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, it dates back to the, you know, the 16th century. I'm sitting here drinking coffee out of my Speak Your Kind mug, and I'm wondering if you were going to put something on a mug, what would your mug say? Speak Your Kind was Starbucks, and I just thought that was so clever. Speak Your Kind. Mm, I love that. What would your mug say? 
comfort right now. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty comfortable. <laughs> so I, what I write when I sign the path to serendipity is follow your own path. And maybe that's what I would put on a mug, or of course I would put serendipity on a mug. Um, I just think I, if I had a gift that I could give any of your listeners, it would be the gift of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in the person that you are, in the person that you aspire to be, and that all you have to do every day from now until eternity is inch toward the person that you want to be. And that's enough. And that you are enough. So follow your own path maybe would be on my mug. Okay. I, I, I want to have one of those because <laughs> it is just so comfortable and comforting talking with you this morning. I feel like you've given us such an amazing gift, um, whether it's confidence or choices or or caring. Um, I, I just want to thank you so much, Allison, for, for carving out time to discuss this. I want to encourage the listeners to go on out and get yourself a copy of Path to Serendipity. You will be blessed and happy that you did. Um, I want to remind everybody that this podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. I want to invite you to join us next week as we continue the conversation about character ed, connections, and life. Allison, thanks again so, so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Barbara. It's always a pleasure to, to talk with you. Have a fantastic day up there in Michigan or wherever your feet take you. Um, listeners, if you enjoyed listening this morning, go ahead and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. And remember that character speaks.